The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDI Wives is a bonus episode hosted by Kylie Caldwell. These episodes focus in on the fastest growing demographic of the dog world and hunting industry in general, women. Kylie is having fun and relatable conversations with other women who have trained and hunted their own dogs and what it was like getting started. These women live the life and prove every day that they don't hunt or train dogs just because of their boyfriends or husbands. They don't do it because they're hunters' wives. They do it because they love it, married to the sport, lifestyle, and most importantly, their dogs. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to YukonubaSportingDog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Good evening, everybody. This is Kylie with GDI Wives, and tonight we have one of my friends who owns Weimariners, uh, my friend Gretchen Stevenson. Hey, Gretchen. Hey, Kylie. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Um, I hope you're doing good. I am. Beautiful day. Yes. Um, it's been a little cold, though, which is weird for this time of year. I'm waiting for the warm weather to get here. <laughs> it will get here soon enough. And then we'll be complaining it's too hot. But why don't we start out with you introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what kind of breeds of dogs that you have, 
and kind of um, we'll start there. Okay, great. So my name is Gretchen. I've had Wine Rainer since 1995. Um, at least I've owned them since then. Um, I fell in love with the breed and I haven't owned personally another uh, another breed other than wines. I've worked with a lot of different breeds, but um, the ones that I want to live in my house and to be mine are, are the Wine Rainers. So what, I guess... What made you choose that breed? Were you introduced, you know, before 1995 um, with with that breed? Or what, what made you kind of fall in love with that breed? So in high school and college, I worked for a veterinarian. And at one point in time, we had a wine rainer come in that was looking for another home. And he, uh, that wine rainer boarded with us for several months. And I fell in love with the dog. And I asked my mom, can we please have this dog? And we had um, two dogs at, at home um, at the time that were just strays that we had picked up at my grandparents' farm. And um, my mom said, no, we could not add a big dog to the house. And if I wanted a wine rainer when I got out on my own, I could get one. So <laughs> that's what happened in 1995. <laughs> as soon as he got out, I'm getting this dog. <laughs> there you go. Did, didn't get that one, but, uh, you know, at that point in time, you people found dogs by looking at the um, ads in the paper, you know. So I looked in the classifieds and uh, found an advertisement for a Weimaraner puppy and went and got to pick out my very own Weimaraner puppy. And, you know, I won't talk about how maybe reputably bred this litter was, but um, the UPS driver came by and he saw that the people had a wine rainer and he said, Hey, I have a male wine rainer. And well, they had a litter <laughs> the rest, of puppies. So. The rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. So. Um, so your first wine that you got to pick, was it a male or a female? And what was their name? His name was Macbeth. Um, my husband was reading um, Shakespeare at the time, and so we started naming uh, our dogs after Shakespearean characters. So we, all of our our dogs and our cat have been named after Shakespearean characters. So we've had an Othello, a Macbeth, a Desdemona, an Oberon, um, Octavia, uh, Titania, and Cordelia. Oh wow! That's I'm gonna I'm gonna have to catch there. our readers up or listeners up on Shakespeare or myself because some of those names I know, but some of them I don't. So that's pretty interesting. They, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you got your first one. Um, you know that's been some time. Talk to us a little bit about what you decided to do with him. You know, at that time, I'm sure. Um, I know NAVDA was around and, and AKC and things like that, but what, you know, you got this breed based on when you were younger, seeing, seeing the dogs um, at the vet clinic and such, but what kind of, um, you know, what kind of things did you do with him before you got involved with, with NAVDA and, and AKC judging? Sure. 
So, you know, we had this little puppy and he uh, was wonderful, but he was a little bit out of control. So we took him to an obedience class and, um, you know, decided that we that uh, we liked to do obedience with him. We um, so we, you know, did a little bit, got his CGC and um, or I don't know if it was actually a CGC, but like a puppy certification and we sure. uh my husband was active duty military at the time so we promptly moved and <laughs> we were at a place where there was a uh, wine rainer club not all that far away and we um got a little bit involved with the wine club there and with the local obedience club um we did agility and obedience and then um with the wine club we this was the greater charleston wine rainer club they used to put on these great field days where they would um, get, you know, anybody that had any type of sporting breed to bring their dog out. Um, and they introduced the dogs to horses and to gunfire and to, you know, different types of birds. And, you know, uh, really for the first time experience kind of, um, you know, for the people. And it was just, an awesome experience. Um, one of the club members took me out uh, later on and introduced uh, you know, Macbeth to um, Quail, and I saw the light bulb go on over this dog's little head. Um, you know, while we had done agility and obedience and and all, and you know, even some tracking, um, the light bulb, you know, told me that this is what he had been bred to do, what every instinct fiber of his little body, you know, said to do. And, um, and it was just amazing to me to sit there and go, Oh my gosh, I thought I was giving my dog a a happy life and he was fulfilled with everything that I did with him. But when he found birds, I knew that I had not been fulfilling him. Um, whole whole nother world (laughs) a whole nother world was opened up so he loved birds he he probably wasn't great at it but it was definitely um he you know wanted to to find them he wanted to point them he uh, never got to the point where i studied him um, just because we moved and then he got injured and, you know, life events. Right. Um, sure. but you know, I knew at that point, that first point when he went and found a bird that that was, that was what he wanted to do. Um, so as much as now, I could, I tried to do that with him. So with that, you know, was this your first, like I'll say versatile breed or bird dog, was this your first, um, bird dog, or did you have other dogs growing up? I know you had had the other dogs when you were younger, but were were they mixed breeds, or were was this kind of your first introduction? You know, dealing with the wine club and everything um, to the versatile breeds. Sure. So the dogs that I had growing up um, at my mom's house were pretty much um, mutts that that we found at my grandparents' farm or wherever. Um, my grandfather did uh, quail hunt um, back at that point in time in Mississippi. There were, you know, wild quail. Um, 
And so he quail hunted and, um, you know, I, I, I don't have memories of him hunting, but you know, it was around, um, but we did not have particular bird dogs there, um, that I remember either. But this was, the wines were my first versatile dog and my first hunting dog. Okay. So with that, you know, you talked about, you know, not really having many memories of your grandfather hunting and such, but what led you kind of, that leads us into our next kind of part of the talk, but what kind of led you into, okay, you introduced Macbeth to the quail and saw that quote unquote light bulb and just that drive and desire to want to get birds and, and be able to shoot over top of them and retrieve the birds and stuff. And I know he got hurt and things, but what kind of led you to the path of wanting to, you know, obviously I know you have more dogs, so, you know, getting more dogs, getting into hunting, where, where did that page kind of turn? And, and, um, if you want to tell us about that. Sure. So we weren't in, um, the Columbia, uh, South Carolina area very long before my husband was, was, um, transferred to Germany. We spent three years in Germany. Um, I got to see some of the, I got to go to the hundredth anniversary of the founding of the German Wanderinger Club, which is really neat to see German Wanderingers and see the testing that they did there. And that really also lit a, a fire under me um, because I got to see those tests, tests that they do with the dogs there. Um, Macbeth had already been hurt at this point and um, was not where he could run without, uh, you know, pain. So, you know, I knew it wasn't something that we could really do with him. Um, okay. When we got back to the U.S., um, Macbeth passed away, and I got another dog out of um, strong hunting lines. And, um, you know, she basically, she lived and breathed to hunt um, when, you know, there was no doubt in her mind what she was bred for. And she... Um, Loved going and finding birds. Uh, the, the, I got Desi and then Obi not very long after and um, was, you know, beginning the steadying process with them. I know I needed somebody to shoot. I couldn't shoot, didn't know how to shoot. Um, while I had shot, you know, BB guns and been introduced to guns uh, somewhat beforehand you know, I always had to go find somebody who would gun for me. And I got a little bit tired of finding somebody to gun for me. So I decided that I needed to, to be a better team player for my dog, up my game, and <laughs> decided to, to, to learn how to shoot. Um, so thankfully, I talked to a friend's husband into teaching me how to shoot, and he took me to Sporting Clay's course and and he is a strong right-handed shooter. And I am not a strong right-handed shooter. I can shoot left-handed and right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant for the most part. So there was a little bit of, we'll say, miscommunication, some, some <laughs> growing pain. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of struggle. Because he... You know, we didn't figure out I was left-eye dominant for a little while. And then, um, you know, once we figured that out and I was shooting left-handed, 
you know, he would try to show me right-handed, but he couldn't show me left-handed because he couldn't shoot left-handed at all. Um, so, you know, we had some challenges. We had a great time. He was a great instructor and, you know, really patient with me because he'd say, okay, D, did you see the lead that I had on that clay? And I'd be like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm sure at times he just internally just shook his head like, oh, my gosh, why did I do the degree to why do did this? I, why did I agree or sign up for this? The same thing <laughs> happened to me. Uh, similar, honestly, because I'm left eye dominant as well. And I shoot uh-huh. left and trying to learn from. Mostly, you know, there's not many people that shoot left and most guns are made for right-handed shooters. There are some left, but same thing. Scott's out there trying to teach me to shoot first off and I'm shooting right-handed and he's like, wait a second, something, something's not right here. Stop, stop. And, you know, you do the little triangle test and you bring it in and see where the triangle mm-hmm. lands and to see where, you know, it goes. And that's supposedly where you're supposed to you know, where you're supposed to shoot. Well, after I figured that out, I was like, okay, this is making sense now. Still not being able to hit much if it was easier to follow, like you said, the lead or, or the clay target or, or bird or whatever mm-hmm. your your target was. But um, I had a similar experience. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it, even to this day when we go do, you know, clay target shoots or even when we just did our fundraiser, people are like, okay, you got to do this. I'm like, yeah, but I shoot. I don't shoot like you guys. <laughs> it's different. So right. I, I get that. <laughs> but so, yeah, he, Charlie was really, really patient with me. And so that, I was really appreciative of that. That's always helpful. And I know everyone's like, well, don't learn from your spouse because then you'll be out there fighting and, <laughs> and they're telling you what to do and you don't want to hear it. So it's always kind of good to get that kind of non-bias and non-judgmental person and, and just be out there having a good time and learning from them. Um, yes. So that's awesome that you got to experience that. And um, when were you able to, after working with him, how long do you think, you know, just estimated that you were able to purchase your own gun and um, what, you know, what was it? Do you, if you remember the name or the brand and what gauge was it? So Charlie, uh, taught me to shoot on a um, Browning Satori and I'm not going to come up with the model, but um, I, 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 to this day, I jokingly tell him that, that uh, I'm, I'm happy he's taking such good care of my gun Um, (laughs) that, you know, my gun is uh, well taken care of in his safe. Um, (laughs) And he just laughs and shakes his head like you're full of it. But um. My husband and I, by that point in time, had moved again, and we were in um, in the D.C. area, and we saw that there was going to be a gun show, and um, you know, I wanted to go and buy a shotgun, and so we went to this. We didn't uh, read, I guess, all of the information about the gun show, but the gun <laughs> show was actually an antique and Civil War memorabilia kind of gun show. So, you know, I was expecting to have lots of guns to look at that might be what I was looking for. And, um, no, that was not the case. Well, there, there were lots of guns, but they weren't what 
I was looking for. Um, but we did happen to walk by this one dealer who happened to have a, um, a uh, gun for sale that was not a Civil War air gun. Um, and it was a shotgun, not a rifle. And um, so I, uh, you know, asked him about it and I, you know, kind of memorized all the information. And then I went outside and I, you know, called Charlie and I'm like, Charlie, there's this gun for sale. It's blah, 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 you know. And I told him how much and he's like, you need to go buy that now. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, so um, the the dealer sold it to us, and um, it was so it was a Browning Satori. It's um, I think it I, it's a field gun, field length gun, but I don't know the model. I don't think it has a model, or maybe it does, but I don't know it. it it's my Satori. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> that, that's all that matters. <laughs> but it is a 12-gauge. Um, Charlie tried to, to let me shoot 20, but I felt more recoil with the 20 than I did with the 12. Um, oh, wow, okay. I would think yeah, the opposite. It but... just, um, yeah, so, and he also reloads, so he was able to do um, lighter loads of powder, so that made recoil easier for me um so you know we worked out the whole recoil issue um before i bought my gun and then um he taught my husband and i how to reload and um now my husband can uh do the the the, um the correct formula uh for the, the reloads that i like that's awesome. Well, yeah, I know that was kind of my first not going to buy a Civil War or um, <laughs> a memorabilia gun or anything like that. But I remember Scott's like, you, you got to get your own gun. Like, you got to figure this out. And I'm like, uh, what do I even buy? There's all these brands, all these gauges. Um, and the big thing was, okay, recoil. You know, I had shotguns before, but I'm like, I do not want to feel that recoil and, and flinch and do all the things you're not supposed to do when you're shooting, you know, a gun. And mm-hmm. um, I remember when I first went up to a place here locally and, uh, and they're like, okay, well, what do you want? And I was like, I have no idea. I, I don't know. And the gun that I have now is uh, is a TriStar, but it's a, it's a semi-automatic, which are supposed to be helpful with that recoil just to kind of make it less, um, so I can't even imagine shooting a 12 gauge cause just thinking about that with all the guys that duck hunt, I, my poor shoulder would be blown off. I feel like, but like you said, you know, you were able to adjust the loads to fit for you. And I know Scott has done that for me to help, um, and just get you used to it and comfortable. Um, cause if you're not comfortable with your gun, I know it can be challenging cause you want to, you want to use it obviously when you go hunting. So it's important. Well, and I did all of the bad things I would take my, you know, cheek off the, the stock and I would get just whacked. Like I don't, I would have the gun in the wrong part of the shoulder and, you know, just, uh, I mean, I developed a nice little flinch for a while and, you know, but, but we worked through it. Yeah. It's easy to do. I mean, stuff, I know I've, um, when we just had the Tar Heel fundraiser for Navdo, I would catch myself doing stuff and I'm like, I didn't even realize I was doing it because people were watching and I'm like, I didn't even, didn't even realize I was doing that. And 
obviously over time and things you just practice and I think the biggest thing for me with shooting clays, it's just so different than when you're actually out there hunting and with birds, it's mm-hmm. just, you don't think about it. You just pull your gun up, aim and okay, hope that you hit the bird. But with the clay targets, you're standing there getting ready and men- mental games will play and wear on you. So it's just, it's different. Um, but yeah. um, so after you were able to purchase your gun, when did you really start getting into shooting with the dogs? Because I know that's another whole nother, you know, not story, but whole nother experience with safety and, you know, what's a low bird and when when should you shoot and things like that. So kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was lucky that, that I did have friends and, and people that would allow this novice shooter to shoot, you know, shoot over their dogs because, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's trusting somebody, right. You know, that they're not going to shoot your dog. Um, sure. So, you know, by that time we had moved to Kentucky um, and, you know, worked with a great group of people out there um, had the, uh, got taught how to be a hunt test, um, uh, you know, like utility test gunner by somebody who um, uh, just sat, we we sat out, um, it was at a hunt test and we were away from everybody and, you know, we were there for, I don't know, like six hours. And every so often this dog, you know, this brace of dogs would come through and we would get up and we would go and shoot and then we would sit back down and, you know, there was nobody else out there. You know, eventually somebody brought us lunch. Um, but, um, you know, it was just kind of this very long period of time of just, you know, every so often getting to, to work with the dogs as they came through. But, um, oh, my gosh, and the guy's name has slipped my brain. I can see his face. Um but he was just, you know, really patient teaching me how to 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 be a safe gunner for for um, testing with the dogs and, you know, when not to shoot, when to shoot. Um, and uh, it was just, you know, one of those great experiences that, that I can just point out and go, oh, yeah, that that right there. Yeah, I think um, that's a big thing. You know, you started learning that way and just you got to get involved. And if, if you have good mentors and things to help you too, I think that's important. But you, like you said, you're, you're hoping that people are trusting you because it's a big feat. You're getting ready to go shoot over someone else's dog and you want to be safe. Of course, you know, nobody wants to Mm -hmm. injure a dog or anything like that. And I know even to this day, I think I'm super cautious. Um, And sometimes even if I can shoot and it's safe, I sometimes just don't. Um, because whatever the circumstance, you know, honestly, I just love watching the dogs work, but sometimes I get caught in the moment. I'm like, Oh, Oh crap. I was supposed to shoot that bird. It was, it was fine. But you know, I'm probably overly, overly cautious just because they are animals and you know, I just don't want anything to happen. And, um, I think that's really good though, that you had people that were able to help and show you so that it was easier when, you know, you got to the more advanced things because, I mean, not a lot of people will know this, but you shoot for our utility test for NAVDA, and that's a big feat. And, you know, one of one of my goals eventually someday, but 
it's stressful. You know, these people and handlers are out there with their dogs and they're expecting you to hit these birds, hopefully, as long as it's, you know, safe. Because in NAVDA, they're extremely safe in the test. So if there's a low bird mm-hmm. or the bird flies, obviously, over the judging crew and the the wrong way will say you're not able to shoot you shoot in the air but you're not able to shoot that bird and I just think that's it's so cool that you're able to do that and um kind of tell us like we're kind of going down the NAVDA path but you know after you started doing the AKC stuff what got you involved in NAVDA was there a specific chapter or a a specific person kind of where did you start in NAVDA so I think um you know, seeing the German test when I was in Germany um, at the 100th anniversary of the founding of the German Wine Runner Club really was that seed that was planted. Um, you know, if I, I kind of look back, there were a lot of seeds that were planted along the way that just kind of helped me get to where where I am now. But, you know, seeing those tests in Germany was definitely the seed that said, all right, you know, there's more to testing than just you know, for these versatile dogs than just going out and being able to point and retrieve a bird. Um, gotcha. So, um, <clears throat> I, um, I heard about NAVDA probably around 2005. Um, and I joined the Carolinas chapter Sometime after that, I tested my first dog uh, in um, natural ability in probably 2008 time frame. Okay. Um, and, you know, uh, enjoyed that, had a good experience. Um, can I say we moved again? Um, because we did. <laughs> That's a trend. Everybody did you hear that. They moved yes. again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Military so, life, know, kind of, unfortunately. There you go. There you go. Um, so we kind of got taken out of, or I got taken out of the area of, of you know, the Carolinas not the chapter. Um, and, you know, just didn't find another chapter until basically we moved back. Um, so, you know, I didn't pursue finding a chapter until I got um, my next dog, who is Panny, and okay. um, Panny is a current current one, and knew that I wanted to go through the the NAFTA system with her. Um, and so when she was, you know, when I got her, I started immediately prepping towards you know her being ready for NA with um, you know big goals in mind of taking her through the UT and her master hunter and, you know, all kinds of, of things with her. So I um, was happy that by that point in time, we had moved back to the area where, um, you know, into North Carolina. And not only was there the Carolinas chapter, now there was the Tar Hill chapter. And just recently, now there's a Foothills chapter. So I know um, we're, we're very blessed to have chapter came back with two. Yeah. Yeah. We're Um, very blessed to have three, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, why do you need more than one? And, you know, at that time before Tar Heel started, you know, the Carolinas chapter, they were doing both in North Carolina and then South Carolina, they were alternating. And it's like, you know, 
people are driving three and four hours just to go to a training day. And it's like, why not have more? It's more opportunities to train, more areas for the dogs. You know, it's only going to benefit us as handlers and trainers and and the dogs. So we're very blessed. And I there's talk of another chapter towards the east. Um, I, I'm not really sure the area where they'll be, but there's talks of another one starting potentially here in the next few months. Um, so, you know, obviously for those people out there, um, it's going to be beneficial, but you know, where we are, we have three pretty close chapters. Like you said, the foothills, Tar Heel and Carolinas that were able to, you know, go to other training days and have the dogs be able to see different grounds and get used to other, other areas rather Mm -hmm. than just the same thing over and over and over. So it's awesome that we have that. Yeah. And the, you know, the people yeah. are a little bit different, you know, being able to, to um, go and meet different people and see the dogs that they have and the, the challenges or the successes that they have and how they may train just a little bit different. You know, I think it's all good. Yeah, no. And you had a good point. Like there's different, different people in each of the chapters and you know unfortunately with our chapter there's a lot of people that are military so they're coming and going which is great because you have that you know camaraderie when they're there but then they then they always end up moving like you said because you know you guys moved a lot but um it's good though because we can get them hooked up with let's say they go to colorado so there's a chapter out there or let washington state there's navd out there or dk clubs or whatever breed uh, dds whatever club you're you're part of there's there's people that you know we can we'll be able to help those people transition into so mm-hmm. um once you started testing with with tanny so i know you've done na with her and you recently just did ut um with her Kind of talk to us a little bit about like your prep for those tests. Like what did you work with other people? Did you read the book? Were you online looking? Like how did you prepare for those tests and um, your, you know, your resources that you had access to? What, what was that like? Before I ran um, my first dog in um, natural ability, I was able to go to, uh, a handler's clinic, I guess it's called now an Ames and Rules Clinic. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But I was able to go to to, to one of those, so I kind of had an idea before I ever tested, even though I'd not been to a test. I at least had that that clinic experience, um, and I knew that it had been so long that I really wanted to have that that uh, deep dive on the rules and all. Um, again, sure. So was able to go to one of those. Um, I love, uh, you know, watching dogs do what they were bred to do. Whether you know it was, it's going out and finding a bird, pointing it, or tracking something. So I've done a lot of tracking with my dogs, um, and um, so you know, I knew how to teach a dog to track humans very well. And, you know, it wasn't a far stretch to uh, teach him to track a uh, running pheasant or for UT, you know, the, the duck drag. Um, sure. So, you know, I was already balancing out with Tanny tracking humans, but, um, you know, and then balancing the, the pheasant track with her and knew, you know, that I wanted to do the pointing field stuff. So that was 
you know, I was working her tour with that. And sure. then the Winerander Club of America has um, retrieving tests that are only open to Winerander's. So I was working her in that as well. That helped with the swimming and, you know, for UT with the, um, the retrieve of a duck. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of all, I was working the pieces for different sports outside of NAVDA, but they all kind of, um, you know, puzzled in, jigsaw puzzled in. Um, yeah, came together. What, yeah. what needed it. Yeah. So, um, you know, my prep was, I guess, pr- pretty much very much like everybody else's and probably not like everybody else's in that, you know, <laughs> I exposed de- uh, Tanny to tracking, you know, a pheasant, but she had been tracking humans so much. Um, yeah, I think that that's one thing already knew that. that sets you apart from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can talk about this for just a minute before we go back to NAVDA, because I do have a couple more questions to ask you about that. But what mm-hmm. events... And maybe it's not events is the right word, but what, um, I know you're, you do a lot of stuff with the tracking, but if you could tell everybody a little bit about, um, what, if it's with AKC, like the kind of the, you just completed an event with her, um, that's very challenging for dogs. And if you could tell us just a little bit about that to give, to give the, um, audience a little bit of background on that. Sure. So, um, AKC, AKC style tracking is tracking where a human has gone. And so the tracks are laid where a human puts down a scent article and then they go along a prescribed route and they lay down an end article. Um, there are three levels of tracking. There's a uh, beginner level, which is, you know, 400 in 40 yards to uh, 500 yards. It's the tracks are aged from 30 minutes to two hours old. Um, and the dog has to, to follow the track of the human. That's your entry level. The, the, once you go through the entry level, you can go towards more field tracking or more urban tracking. Um, and those two, uh, test tracking tests, are very much more difficult than the entry level. So for the the tracking dog excellent, which is a field style um, test where you can go through woods and through streams and you know through big fields, um, that what that track is aged from three to five hours. You're going to have obstacles. You're going to have people crossing the track and there are going to be multiple articles that the track layer leaves behind the dog has to find. Um, and then the urban style tracking is, um, if you think, you know, so actually for like the, the TDX, the tracking dog, excellent. If you think a boy scout, right. Uh, wandered away from, you know, the camp while he was, um, out on a, uh, you know, while he was camping, you know, so he's out in the woods and he and he wanders off and gets lost. That's kind of TDX. Um, the variable surface tracking is um, around college campuses or business parks. You're going on hard surfaces and, um, you know, at least three different surfaces that the dog has to track across. 
The track is aged again from three to five hours old. There are four articles um, along the track that the dog has to find. And you may encounter pedestrians, vehicles, construction, whatever, you know, kind of just whatever happens, happens on the track. Um, okay. So if you, if your dog ends up passing all three levels, um, you know, the, tra- the tracking dog, the tracking dog excellent, and then the, the um, variable surface tracking, then your dog earns a, tra- uh, a um, champion tracker title. So recently, um, Tanny tested for her versatile or, or her um, variable surface tracking test, and um, she was successful. And so she had already passed her, her tracking dog excellent and her TD, of course. So she um, was awarded the champion tracker title. And with the, the VST, the uh, variable surface track, tracking test, some years it's about a 5% pass rate. Some years it gets up as high as 10% pass rate of this test. Um, so wow. it's a really hard test to pass. Yeah. There's a lot competing for the dog's attention besides the the track of the of the person that they're supposed the to follow. You know, they yeah, can have like you, people wander up and talk right. to them. They can have <laughs> they can go it's, buy a trash can that has McDonald's French fries right there, and you know <laughs> they've got to either leave them, yeah, or it's so eat variable. them and then get on back to work or whatever. Yeah. yeah, anything can happen. Then, like you, know, you then said. you have to, of course, like go through, right, like parking lots or you know, crossing roads and all kinds of things like that. It and, it kind of reminds you know, when I you love, talk about it. It it reminds me a lot about like the German testing, and I wonder if some of that's from there because you know they they focus a lot when we were there and when I went to pick up Falco, my DK male. Mm-hmm. They focus so heavily on the blood, a lot of blood tracking, but that's like a lot of mm-hmm. the testing and stuff that they do. So it kind of reminds me of those things when you're talking about the different tests. Not obviously the variable one now is just, that seems extremely hard, but um, the other ones seem more like the on the lines of like the German testing system. Right. I think there's probably, you know, some correlation there but you know in the end it's watching these dogs do their you know use their talents you know their nose nose. to do what we basically can't do sure Um, you know we might be able to see where somebody walked in the grass but we can you know that grass has to be a certain type or whatever you know to be able to see where somebody has been um you know these dogs can do things their noses are just so powerful and you know their abilities are you know just outstanding so to me it's just always fascinating whether it's watching dogs you know in the field watching dogs track you know it's fascinating to watch them use their noses i'm always amazed and i know Um, nick had on a gentleman talking about nose work and I can't remember the statistics and the numbers that he was putting out, but how many um, things dogs, you know, whether it's humid, whether it's cold, whether it's wet, all these things kind of play into it, but their noses, like you said, are so incredibly 
sensitive to smelling. It just still like dogs, Mm -hmm. how to this day, you know, there should be a book on it. I'm sure there is somewhere, but you know, when a dog smells a bird or a game, whatever it may be, how that in their head instinctually makes them point or flush or whatever, you know, whatever breed that you have. I just, to me still, I'm like, Mm -hmm. how, how does this process happen? How do they know that's a bird or a rabbit or a a fox or squirrel, whatever it may be, a duck? How does that register in their brain? It just, it's, it's amazing and crazy all at the same time, to be honest. Um, Right. These, these dogs are It definitely animals. is amazing to sit there and think about, yeah, what what their ability is. And, I mean, I think we've tapped in, you know, just to the very bare minimum of what their true abilities are using their nose. Yeah, I think you're right. Just, you know, scratch the surface. You know, I, I know now they're mm-hmm. using GSPs more um, in, like, the TSA world and and doing that just because they're so less intimidating than, you know, like a German shepherd mm-hmm. or uh, a Doberman or whatever that, that they use because they're, they look cute and everybody wants to go pet them. And, um, you know, they're starting to get involved in that. But like you said, we're just touching the surface of what these dogs really can do. And um, I know there's a lot of people that do, you know, the search and rescue with their dogs, but like you said, it's, it's amazing the power that these dogs truly have and, the abilities that they have. Um, so with with that, now we talk about the tracking and stuff and and how it relates, you know, because there's parts of the NAVDA testing, like the NA with the, the tracking of the pheasant. You know, everyone's like, oh, my dog didn't find the pheasant. Well, it's not, that's not the name of the game. The the dog is supposed to use its nose and, and show that it's able to track. It's totally different than going out and doing a field search where the dog's, you know, searching and looking for for game the track is a specific task where the dog's tracking that wherever that pheasant may went if it you know went straight up and took a hard left or wherever the track was the dog's staying pretty close to it and recognizing that there's there's a track there and and i need to follow this and break cover and and do the things that the, that the aims and rules books tells me that the dog has to do but um you know, you did you do that stuff and continue to do that stuff with your dog. But tell us a little bit. We're going to go back to NAVDA a little. Um, so you ran Tanny now in the utility test and qualified for the Invitational. Um, have you started training for that? Are your plans to go? I know last year it was canceled and you were scheduled to go. But where are you guys kind of at with that? And have you gotten which day you're running on yet? Because I know they had sent that out. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm excited to go. I think it's going to be just awesome to, you know, to run Tanny, but also, you know, really neat to see all of these other dogs work. Um, you know, again, watching, you know, watching well-trained dogs, do what they were bred to do, use their nose, um, you know, and their talents and all. Um, Within training, you know, we're moving forward. We're getting there. We're, you know, in places we're probably ahead of where we need to be. And in other places we're probably behind where we need to be. 
but um, you know, I'm excited to do it. I'm excited for the training. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a blast teaching her what she needs to to be ready for the test. Um, and you know, watching the other people that are in this area that I get to train with, you know, work their dogs towards being ready as well. Um, yeah, that's right. We have quite a crew going now that with COVID and everything they had canceled. We've got, mm-hmm. I think, maybe what eight going from our between the two chapters, maybe even nine. I'm I'm not sure off the top of my head, but a roundabout, I think. Right. Which is you know, pretty substantial in saying something of our chapters that, you know, people are, are doing great work and putting the time and effort into their dogs and being able to go to this, you know, test that you're invited to based on the score that you received. And like you said, you're able to see Tanny and the other dogs and work with other people to get different ideas and where you may be struggling, they might not be that, that you guys can, you know, bounce ideas off each other and help help train. That's the biggest thing. You know, you can't, you can't do it alone. Um, it takes a lot of people to train for that test. Um, as you know, the, the events for it, you know, you have to have other people to help. It it makes, it makes the difference for sure. Um, what day have you gotten your day that you are running? Do you know what day you will be running? I have gotten it and I've made hotel reservations Okay. And I don't remember what day it is. Oh, um, okay, everybody. We're, we're going to we're gonna reach back out to Gretchen after the Invitational this fall, and we're going to find <laughs> out what day she ran on and, and what, what happened. Um, we'll keep that in the back of our, our mind. We should, we should do an episode on that. I think that would be cool for the people that – the ladies that get to go and run in that because, you know, I know when I went, and you're going to the same place and running where I did in Iowa – I remember standing up the morning of and people are out there with my dogs and I didn't bring Sassy out because she's already competitive. I didn't need her, you know, looking up and down the line at these other dogs like, hey, who, who's, who's my running buddy? No, 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 no. So, um, Uh but looking around that circle or semi-circle and not seeing very many females, I'm kind of like, uh, uh uh-oh. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, being part of that, um, I think it's saying something and. Um, it's a pretty special, special moment for you and your dog. So just try to, you know, take it all in and, and just the big thing is to have fun and just try to try to remain calm when your dog is maybe messing up or not doing exactly <laughs> what you want it to do. Um, <laughs> I think those are, those are yeah. two words of well, wisdom. You know, or I've already been, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've already been picking your brain and I'll continue to be picking your brain about this because. <laughs> You know, I think it's important to um, have that. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to make it to any of the invitationals beforehand. So, yeah. you know, having yeah. that experience, to your experience to tap into, um, and everybody else in, in the, the local chapters that have gone. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I it's think that's good to have that invaluable. just to mentally prepare yourself because the two sites are totally different. And, you know, unfortunately, we're you know, the tests are, we train in heat, you know, it's 90 plus degrees and humid when we're training, you know, obviously first thing in the morning, of course, to not have the dogs get into trouble. But, um, the day we ran, it was 92 degrees and I was the last 
race in the field. So, you know, you can train in that all day long, but when you actually have to do it, it's emotionally, physically, it's, it's draining. And like, you know, to have people to be able to talk to about your experiences and stuff, I think it's really important. And um, being able to share that to, like I said, get yourself in the game and Mm -hmm. mentally prepare for, for the task ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. So with that, we'll kind of end on that. And like I said, I think it would be really awesome if we could get, I know Stacy's going with Porter and you, and I don't know if there's any other females that are going this year with their dog off the top of my head. Did I miss? I don't think I'm Stephanie. Stephanie, that's right. Yes, with Drumlin. So the three of you, we need to get together after and talk about, you know, your trials and tribulations of the invitation. I think that would be a really cool thing to do. Um, And I'm going to leave. I want you to kind of talk to our new or novice gun dog owners and kind of give some words of advice for for them, maybe for training that things that you've experienced or adversities that you've faced. Um, if you want to kind of share some tips of wisdom to them and when we'll kind of end it on that. Sure. I guess, you know, my biggest tip is, you know, don't look just at the top of the mountain. Enjoy the view from where you're at right now, knowing that you're still going towards the top of the mountain, but you know, enjoy the journey while you're training your dog. Enjoy the moment that you're in with your dog, whether your dog is just messing up by the numbers or clicking along just like what you want. Um, you know, all the dog they're animals. They do funny things or weird <laughs> things. They have good days. They have bad days, right? Um, but, you know, it training a dog to, to be a... Um, you know, a hunting buddy, a completely, uh, you know, testing type dog, um, you know, at high levels or whatever. I mean, it's all the journey of, of those experiences with your dog. You know, while you might look back and go, yeah, my dog, you know, on this testing day did this. You might have that as a picture, but you're going to have a whole bunch of other pictures of, the days that you were with your dog training and, you know, this funny thing happened or this was a breakthrough in training for your dog. Um, you know, it's that journey that matters. It's those everyday little things. So, you know, you've got to, while you've got to look to the top of the mountain of where you're going towards, you've got to enjoy the journey getting there. The ride. Yeah. As they say, I think that's really important and, awesome advice. Um, I think people get so focused and hung up and I know I'm guilty of it. Oh, I got this score. I'm going here. And you forget to, whoa, let's take a step back. And like you said, enjoy the journey because these dogs, like you said, a big thing that I always harp on to people and new client puppy owners, like when they start getting involved and wanting to do NAVDA and doing the testing and maybe their dog doesn't do so great at at an NA test or utility test. And I've had these experiences and you just have to remember dogs are animals and they will do some crazy things and just be prepared for that and, and, and try not to get frustrated. I know sometimes I, I still do. And you want them to do so well that, you know, you just, you want it so badly. Um, and you just have to remember, let's take a step back and remember this is a dog 
it doesn't really matter. Um, and that that's, I think people get so hung up on that. You know, I have to have this title, I have to have that title, but remember the journey where you started, where you ended the middle of the road, and you're going to have an amazing hunting companion, no matter what the outcome is. Um, so I think that's important for people to remember, um, and just keep in the back of their head when they get, when they get frustrated in a testing scenario. And especially, you know, the test you're getting ready to do, it's, it's stressful. Um, it's nerve wracking. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of dogs, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and you can't predict the weather. There's just a lot of moving parts. So just trying to stay calm. That's, that's going to be my kind of word of wisdom to you. Um, and you know, the funny thing is when I ran, um, I think, in, let's see, 2018, it was weird. I, you know, cause Scott and I were there together. We were in Iowa, so it was quite a haul. So we're having to drive up there together and, and we ran the same day. So we're having to be in the same vehicle on the same day for the test and the dogs are in the back together. And that day was probably one of the most calmest days I've had testing and handling. It, it was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, this this, this is not, am, am I the same person here? Knock, knock. Like, are you awake? <laughs> um, but I was just so calm. And, um, I think that really helped. Now we did have issues obviously because we didn't pass, but the thing is, like you said, remember the journey, you know, we got to that event. I had so much fun that day with Sassy. And the thing about it is she did the task. We just, she did it without me. And, um, you know, it was just a lot of fun and getting to see, like you said, the dogs work. It was just an amazing experience. And if anybody's able to do it, I just, I recommend it highly. And um, I think those are my kind of words of wisdom and we'll, we'll kind of end on that Gretchen. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your wimes and your, your hunting experience and, and buying your first gun and being able to get involved in NAVDA. And I know we didn't touch a lot about your AKC adventure, but you do AKC judging and stuff and maybe sometime we can get you back on, but um, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great night. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend. Also be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under gundog it yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. 
I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.